0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to episode 337 with my guest Anne from Berlin. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that uh, that doesn't suck. But I did go to college. I did go to college. I did my undergrad in uh, How Could You? And then I got my master's in If Only. And I'm currently uh, working on my PhD in uh, Why Didn't I? This... <laughs> I can't tell if that was mildly amusing or eye-rollingly bad. That's the thing that I miss about doing stand-up is i that immediate response of an audience. And the mean voice in my head, as many of you know, is named uh, mean DJ voice. It fills the gap. Immediately it fills the gap. And uh, I'm a little tired of him little tired of mean dj voice uh hey welcome to anybody who is uh a new listener uh uh especially those of you who found us through itunes i think um the podcast is going to be featured on the i on the itunes uh, homepage uh this week under new and noteworthy or at least it's supposed to so any of you uh discovering it through that welcome um how do I describe the show? I did a little bit. The show is like half interview conversation with somebody either I know in my personal life or somebody I've never met before. Sometimes it's a listener. Sometimes it's somebody famous uh, or a fellow comedian. Uh, So half of the show is a conversation with them. Then the other uh, portion of the show is me reading listener confessions, uh, which they do through various surveys and, uh, love it when you guys go fill out the surveys. Um, there's so many great things that that you've shared that um, really make it such an integral part of, uh, of the show. Um, but I, I digress. Let's uh, actually before I do that, uh, I want to uh, give some love to our sponsor betterhelp.com. They provide uh, online counseling. I use them. I love them. go to betterhelpcom mental fill out a questionnaire get matched with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you uh, you got to be over 18. I've been using them for about a year now and my counselor's name is Donna she's awesome uh, she even checks in with me during the week to see how I'm, I'm doing she really she's awesome and the other therapists that I know personally who work at uh, betterhelp.com are great. So check it out. Betterhelp.com slash mental and you gotta be eighteen. Okay, so picking up with uh what's happened this last week. You know like those guys when they do a news story and like somebody does something crazy and then they break into that person's apartment and they find like five hundred rifles. I'm that guy, but instead of rifles, it's ice cream. I was it I was at the grocery store and I've been gaining weight cuz I've been feeling some feelings I don't want to deal with and um I said I am not going to get any ice cream cuz I go to the, sh- the store once a week and I almost made it all the way through and I said, "You know what? Let me just <laughs> let me just see if they have anything new." And it was like a robot was operating my arm, just going in and out of the freezer, just pulling. It was like I was watching myself pulling all of these different brands. But I justified it to myself that I was discovering new flavors of ice cream, which is different than getting the old same five different Ben & Jerry's flavors. So currently in my freezer right now, uh, you will find... Meyer Lemon and Marion Berry. Um, not the, not the mayor Marion Berry. Although I would, I would try a sample of that if I were at a ice cream place. And would you like to sample some Marion Berry? Um, and I would sample it and then I would say, you know, it was good, but I didn't get any really big chunks of him in there. (laughs) Uh, here's the other one. Uh, Marscapone, or is that Marscapone? Yeah, Marscapone, uh, pistachio caramel. Holy fuck. It is so good. Uh, Caramel cookie crunch, cookies and cream, one love, which is a special edition uh, Ben and Jerry's and is fucking amazing. And then some Ben and Jerry's uh, Americone Dream slices. So that's right. I went in there saying, I'm not going to get a single thing of ice cream. And within 15 seconds, I had shoveled six different brands or five different brands into my cart like an animal and um i you know one of the things i i am learning to do is when i'm eating compulsively say what am i trying to run from what feeling am i trying to run from and um oh by the way did i mention <laughs> in addition to getting divorced and my dog dying i'm getting evicted <laughs> I'm actually more okay with that than I am my fear of me having no control over ice cream. You know, maybe I need, like if I knew that my next apartment was going to be made of ice cream, then I would actually look forward to getting evicted. But I'm actually okay on, in some way, I'm okay with all of this because I'm at a place in my life where I've worked really hard on my mental and emotional health. And while I may not be at the place that I would um, dream of, I'm so much further along than I would have thought 14 years ago and when I wanted to die every single day. So, in the grand scheme of things... I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And I and I do genuinely mean it. There is a sense of peace that I have in my life um, around the difficulties. It's just hard sometimes identifying the feelings that I've that, that, that I'm feeling. And I think I'm lonely. I think that's the the biggest emotion I don't want to feel right now. That and sadness. <laughs> Other than that, I'm doing great. By the end of this, I'm going to be broadcasting from a bridge. Um, but I am okay. And I never thought that I would be able to handle life throwing stuff like this at me and still go out and greet the day and... Oh, do I hate that phrase. I so hate that I just said, greet the day. By the way, uh, I am dressed in an English butler suit, uh, so it's understandable. Anyway, I don't know what the point of all of this is. It started off by me uh, wanting to let the new listener kind of know what the show was about and that, um, (laughs) that I have a problem with ice cream. Oh, my God, I'm dragging this whole fucking thing down let's talk about something I do know. Socks. That's right. Let me tell you about Bombas because I love their socks. Bombas started when two guys named Randy and Dave uh, heard that socks were the number one requested clothing item in homeless shelters. And so for every pair of socks that Bombas sells, they donate a pair to those in need, which is awesome. Dave promised Randy that he'd get a Bombas logo tattoo when they donated a million pairs of socks. Of course, they thought it'd take 10 years. It took two and a half. And now Dave has a Bombas tattoo and a great story to tell about it. Here's what I want to tell you. I checked out their socks. I got four different pairs. And I, now if it was ice cream, I'd have gotten six pairs. I got four different pairs of socks. And what I really, really like about Bombas is the selection that they have, because you gotta have the right sock for the right shoe. And I just bought a pair of Vans and a pair of high tops, and you don't wear the same socks with both of those. With Vans, you either don't wear socks or you wear a low-profile sock that doesn't look like you're wearing a sock. And Bombas had one that's perfect. It's super thin. I love it. And then they had a quarter, uh, quarter ankle uh sock that's perfect with my high tops, and I couldn't be happier. They're great quality. Uh, there's no annoying toe seam. They don't fall down. Uh, what more do you want? What more do you want? For the best socks in the history of feet, I don't know if you can prove that, but I dare you to take me to court, visit Bombus.com slash mental. And do it today and you'll get an additional twenty percent off your first purchase. That's B O M B A S dot com slash mental for twenty percent off. Bombas.com slash mental. Okay. I want to read two very brief moments shared by uh, they're both awful some moments to our to our new listener. That's that's a moment that uh when it happened was awful, but looking back on it, there's something about it that was awesome. And we call it awfulsome. And these are two awfulsome moments. And the first one is filled out by um, uh, a woman who is, uh, I think she's in high school. And she calls herself Flying Cursing Potato Chip. And she writes, uh, self-harm trigger warning before anyone reads this. It isn't gruesome or anything, but I understand some people can be quite sensitive to these things. Um, so this happened at college slash high school. I'm not sure what that means. Is there some place that's a combination college high school? Never heard of that. Uh, anyway, I had bought a blade from home because I woke up late and didn't have time before school. Um, and in parentheses, I know, what the fuck? I agree and I am seriously disturbed. I went to the bathroom, shut myself into a cubicle and put the blade to my arm and was about to proceed. So I looked up, because it's not exactly a pretty sight, and guess what happened to be on the door opposite me? A fucking mental health info and prevention poster talking about the signs somebody is struggling and where you can get help. Yes, self-harm was also listed on there, and I couldn't help but start laughing. I'd never seen anything like it before, but here it is, just when I'm about to cut myself. It was absolutely incredible. I put the blade in the bin after that and decided not to carry on because I really felt that meant something. I suppose someone was watching out for me. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. And then this is from Lily, and uh, she writes, uh, When I was 14, I read the interview with the Vampire book series, and I came to believe that Lestat would indeed come for me if I presented myself properly. I hated my home life and was willing to try anything to get away, including joining the undead. I put on a claret red-colored, crushed velvet Victorian-style dress, tied a ribbon choker around my neck, and went out to the empty pastures near my house every evening at dusk for weeks to wait for him. And when he never came, I got disappointed, believing it was because I just wasn't special enough and that he had chosen some other girl. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people. I mean, it hurt.
1: I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different...
0: Extremely anxious.
1: Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die.
0: Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness.
1: I came out over the phone to them.
0: I put myself on the act
1: of diet in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what
0: She made the trip down here while uh, I'm in Amsterdam, and you have been a listener to the show for a long time, Um, and when we talked about atheism and what exactly that is or what makes somebody a quote-unquote believer, um, you wrote this email to me about what atheism means to you because I think you felt—don't let me put words in your mouth—that the way people sum up atheism is sometimes as if it's this discompassionate view of the universe. And mm-hmm. so you would, you would you mind reading me the uh, email that you sent in a couple of years ago?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm not going to bore you by trying to convince you that despite my being a godless heathen, I am an upright, moral, kind, and caring woman— and that even though I don't believe in divine intervention and mind-reading supernatural creators of worlds, I cherish life and all the awesome things that come with it as the greatest good since the beginning of everything. I don't believe in a universe as a force of love and compassion, but I do believe in a universe that is as loving and compassionate as we are. I don't believe that someone or something out there makes sure that I am well. How could I believe in such a thing, if I know that so many people people are suffering the most unspeakable pain and injustice from the day they were born to the day they die, and yet I believe that I am the only thing that stands between me and the kindness and beauty that life has to offer. I believe in the atoms that make me. I stand breathless before an endless night sky, shaken by the vastness and unlikelihood of it all. And in this tiny fracture of time in which this set of atoms, forged in the heat of a star, has the privilege to experience itself. I don't believe in a greater scheme, but I believe in in the human mind, or so my human mind tells me, and living up to its potential. I don't believe in divine justice, but I do believe in the complex mechanics of what goes around comes around, and creating the world that I want to live in by my everyday actions. I believe in the power of the spoken and written word. I would like to believe in a soul, but I really can't, though I do believe that everything that ever lived is still an inherent part of this world. We are all connected, not by gods, spirits of fate, but by our actions, by the very light bouncing off of the things that we touch and create. From the eyes we looked into, little photons going on forever, energy never running out, only changing its course and form. The light which fell onto my newborn body and into the eyes of my grandfather still exists. The energy that his mind gathered in this very moment to decide never to touch a drop of alcohol ever again is still there. Sorry for the cheesiness. And above all, I believe that letting go of God in religion has also helped me in becoming a more wholesome, mature person, and I know for sure that a lot of people feel the same way. I don't know why I'm writing all of this other than for the sake of making myself miserable over the question whether you're going to read this and if you're going to understand, but I feel that the things you believe in are not so different from the things that I believe in. We just have different names for it, and it pains me that the mere definition of a word stands between that. Yeah, see, that's what I wanted to say. There you have it. Hope you didn't have too much trouble reading through this wall of text since I'm not a native speaker, and thank you if you did it at all. Take care, Paul, you amazing set of atoms.
0: So incredibly eloquent. And the fact that you wrote that in a second language just makes me want to say, fuck you. Thanks. Just a big fech dich.
1: Is that <laughs> so right? Pr- perfect. <laughs> Really beautiful
0: I, I, uh, and is quite well aware that she is my one chance to practice my bad college German on and sh- she's been extremely patient these last uh, last few hours we've been hanging out thank you for that that beautiful thing that you wrote it I would imagine there are many people out there who were nodding and saying oh my god she just put into words exactly how I feel about the universe and religion or lack of religion. And it's her second language. I agree with Paul. Fuck her. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for that silence. Um, We have so much to talk about. You are how old again?
1: 35.
0: 35. You were born in East Germany.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You have borderline personality disorder. There is all kinds of dysfunction in your family. You <laughs> could say that. Um, you, you were born in an area of East Germany that isn't considered the stereotype of East Germany by the West, at least in my mind, because it, it, it wasn't East Berlin. Um, would you explain to people who might not remember East Germany when it was under the control of the the Soviets and it was communist. Can you explain to them where you're from, what East Germany was, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where your family lived, etc., etc.? So kind of a history lesson, paint a picture of where you grew up.
1: Okay, so um, after World War Two, um, when Germany was basically being taken over by the Allied forces, um, which uh, you might recall is has been uh, the United States, France, England, and Russia, they basically split up the country. So, um, and they, Russia took the eastern sector, and um,
0: the sector closest to Russia.
1: Exactly right. It's close to Poland, like mm. uh, neighboring to Poland, and which uh,
0: borders Russia. Which
1: borders Russia, exactly. And um, I don't really know what the plan was for that, or how things were supposed to go down, or if there even was a plan, I don't know that. Um, But... Basically, Russia had this idea to create a socialist state and to make uh, the eastern sector uh, a socialist state, which is um, about like mm, roughly like one third of the country. That's probably super wrong. Maybe a quarter, a quarter to a third of the country. Of Germany. of Of Germany, exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, so they thought that that would be a great idea to um, get, you know, socialist ideas. Um,
0: and for and for young listeners, this was when Russia was the Soviet Union, which yeah. meant Russia, and they controlled Poland, they controlled uh, the Ukraine, they they controlled uh, Czechoslovakia, they mm-hmm. they installed puppet regimes in yeah. a lot of these what were considered satellite states.
1: Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense that they wanted to do the same thing with this little chunk of Germany, right? Right. I, I suppose and. Um, So, um, in the sixties, then, um, they built a wall actually around that Eastern sector and, um, they said they wouldn't want to do it. And then it was almost like, yeah, that they did it. And they basically locked up people in their own fucking home country. Right. So that's what happened. And, um, I was born in that country. Um, and, um,
0: And when you say that they were locked up in their own country, explain in in more detail, if you would, what that looked like.
1: I don't know what it looked like, because it happened in the 60s, but I can imagine that, well, basically people were building a wall around this this piece of land, and people were wondering what's happening here, and then the government said, like, "Uh, nothing, and then there was the wall. And a lot of people fled around that time. And some people who could might have lacked imagination that that could actually happen. They stayed. Um, well, it's not easy to leave everything that you have and everything that you are. So a lot of people stayed. I don't know much about the history on my grandma's side. Um, she is. She's been born in Poland, close to Warsaw, and um, she's been a child of of World War Two, basically. And she must have been. I think Sudeten German, which. Basically, is neither Polish nor Germans. Like Poland, basically said, no, you Germans go away after World War II. and the German people said, no, you Polish go away. So I don't know how that ended her up in um, in Eastern Germany, but but it happened. I re- really wish I could tell you more about it, but I never really asked my my grandma that many questions, which I really regret. She passed away when I was sixteen, so never had, really had the chance to clear that up, but. Yeah, so they made a living, basically. Um, they settled in, in Eastern Germany, and um, yeah, then... then. And, and, and
0: to also paint a picture, there was not o- only the wall which divided yeah. East Germany Germany, from West Germany, yeah. but talk about Berlin. And by the way, Anne lives in Berlin now, yeah. but she was not raised in Berlin. She, mm-hmm. Where you were raised was about two hours north of Berlin. Exactly. Yeah. So explain the whole Berlin-East Germany thing. Yeah,
1: so not only was um, Eastern Germany split up, um, as a, well, surrounded by this wall, but also the, the capital, which is kind of in the center of that. So Berlin was being split up in four different sectors. And um, there was the, the Russian sector, which was later the Eastern sector. So it was kind of like an enclave, like, like the Vatican, for example, a country within a country. Um, so
0: almost like a, a, like a democratic little circle in a sea of a socialist, uh, of a communist country. And yeah. then that circle is divided yeah. even further into the Soviet Yeah communist section, and then the other three quarters of the pie being um, Western, i.e. United States and Mm -hmm. its allies.
1: Yeah, and there's a couple of pretty awesome documentary about that. Like, people live like door to door but were, were being um, parted by this wall and they were shouting things at each other so um, it's a little bizarre it's not really funny because a lot of people died I don't want to ridicule it but um, it's also pretty I mean it's not funny but it's kind of funny <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, yeah and I was born in 82 which was kind of like on the end days I think of the, the former German Democratic Republic so this wall came actually down in, in eighteen nine and I was seven years old by the time. I don't have much recolle- recollection of that time. Um, and the
0: GDR was the West or Eastern Germany?
1: It was Eastern Germany. It's uh, Yeah, glad that you asked, because it's called German Democratic Republic. It was not democratic. It was right. um, an autocracy, a, a dictatorship, some even say. And um, it was not a democracy, but it was called that, yeah.
0: Um, kind of like a lot of organizations that have the word family in
1: them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um,
0: so paint a picture of um, what it was like in your hometown politically and across the country politically for people who tried to escape, or had differing opinions made trouble, i.e., for the East German
1: authorities. So, bizarrely enough, leaving the country, crossing the border um, unallowed, um, basically was lethal, like you would be shot on sight, no questions asked. And um, some people could leave the country but it was only with a permit and and you would only get a permit if you were like 160 years old and you wouldn't leave anyway or you would leave a lot of family behind like if you were a mother of of three you might be able to leave um, you could leave um, the country in you know eastern direction like you could for example, go to holidays in Russia or China. Even you could. I think you could. Some people could if you could afford it, because people weren't generally that rich. Um, yeah.
0: And one of the things that I recently learned um, is, uh, you know, as many of you know, uh, Germany lost World War II, and there was a, um, as every war does, when it ends. The loser has to pay reparations yeah. to the victors, and I just learned recently when I was in Berlin that the Soviet Union took a lot of their reparations from East German resources, which greatly impoverished East Germany and contributed to a lot of the suffering. Is is that sound correct?
1: You know, when it um, comes to suffering, um, I think the suffering came about by. P- families being split up like there was basically instant almost and not instantly but almost instantly a war being raised between families like between, between cities and communities and so a lot of families lost each other and um so that was a lot of suffering um
0: and, and also because it, it wasn't just a physical separation you your phone calls from the east were monitored yeah it was you were being watched or at least there was a feeling you were being watched all the time by the you East German police. You were probably
1: being watched. I mean, they would hire your fucking friends to to right. ra- rat you out. I, I mean, um, and that's that has created a huge level of distrust. I think you can kind of feel that. Maybe it's you know, and um, even today. You maybe I don't know like I told you before it's really difficult to um, explain Germany or Germans when you're a German yourself, so you kind of carry it within yourself i might I feel like I'm a little paranoid and distrustful yeah um I think a lot of the suffering came about just by people not really being free to go wherever they wanted a lot of people suffered from that I, I mean I'm not necessarily a globe trotter, but if you tell me I can't do something, <laughs> guess what I want to do so a lot of people felt like like they were locked up in their own country. Um, when it came to social security and stuff, people were actually kind of okay. Um, people were doing doing good. Like, a lot of people had work. It might not have been the work that they wanted. Um, I remember um, my mom being very upset. Um, she was a metal worker or something, and that's definitely what she wanted to do and definitely what was not cut out to do. And so she, But she had to do it because that was the job that was the job available at the time so she had to take that so a lot lot of those stories but when you had a job you were kind of okay I mean um, maybe I come from a very privileged standpoint because we had a huge chunk of land and um, I think my childhood was somewhat nice I mean the countryside is beautiful where I come from Um, people living in Berlin really being somewhat cramped too in that city I can imagine might not have been so great
0: Um, How... Did you acquire a large piece of land? Was it your families before yeah. that, and so they just didn't take it? Were there lands that were taken? Oh,
1: yeah, there, there actually were. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, a lot of people lost um, their, their land. The government just basically took it like, um, and um, didn't get anything for it, too. Um, it was kind of like um, occupied and said, no, this is common good. Belongs to everyone, and of course, everyone means the government. Um,
0: and when you say large piece of land, roughly, what are, what are we talking? I
1: do not know the numbers, but I know that a lot of people lost um, th- their, their their land, and especially if those were might have been unruly people. But, well,
0: I meant the size of your families.
1: Uh, oh, it's been um, what is it like two thousand um, square meters? Which is i mean it's not it's not a farm it's not a field, but it, it has been a huge house, a huge yard and a beautiful garden, and we had like a couple of farm animals so we w- we were doing fine like ma- from from a material standpoint and you didn't go hungry necessarily absolutely not no okay no um, and I think a lot of people were kind of somewhat safe there was health care, uh, there were jobs, there was a base income um, for most people, so um but people were somewhat um, upset because the, the money that you earned might have been somewhat okay, but you couldn't really spend it. Like There was a shortage on, on everything, getting a car, getting a phone. Uh, the, some people, it, it took them like 20 years to get a car. You would kind of almost like uh, apply for it. Yeah, you would apply for it. And
0: And did you have to save for it in addition to that?
1: It was not the money. Most people had the money for a car, but there was just such a shortage. There was not enough import into into the country, and yeah, and I think it was also an idealistic thing that maybe that's just my opinion. I don't really know if that's necessarily true, but it's also like capitalism. Capitalism is being looked down on, and so consumerism is too. So we won't have all of these fancy things which wasn't maybe necessarily that smart because people were jealous of each other because some people had a car and others didn't and I and, the,
0: and then also you see the leaders eventually
1: um, well you probably didn't really see it because there was no coverage on the huge mansion that <laughs> that all the government officials had of course not um, and their little Argentinian farms and it just no you wouldn't necessarily see that no
0: So, paint a picture for me of the emotional kind of uh, environment that you grew up in. How many kids?
1: Um, It's me and my sister. My sister is six and a half years younger than I am, and I also had a cousin that I um, grew up with quite close, almost, almost like a brother a little bit, and he's two and a half years younger than I am. So that means that I'm the first one of my generation, which have been a little bit of of a downfall in in hindsight. How so? Because the first, children always get all the shit. (laughs) And I think especially my mom, she wanted to do everything right. So she was a little bit um, anxious about everything. And um, yeah, I feel like my cousin and then my sister, we kind of like, um, if you would, You know, put us all together. You would kind of see. Oh, yeah, she didn't turn out so well. Being she, being me, (laughs) and my cousin, he was kind of all right. And my sister is like, she doesn't care for most of the shit. So she's pretty independent. And I've been always very sensitive. And I think I've gotten all of the attention that I definitely did not need as a kid um, from from all of the family being the first one of the generation, being the first child.
0: And when you say attention, obviously you mean. Non-nurturing attention.
1: Good and bad. I think. Okay. Like I got a lot of love from my granddad, which I mentioned in, in mm. my letter. That he, him and I, we had, think we had a good bond. He li- really did stop drinking when I was born. He was a heavy alcoholic, uh, so alcoholism runs on my family.
0: He stopped or started when you. He were- st-
1: <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. He stopped. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my birth did not inspire him to drink. pork. Yeah. So let's set that straight. Um, yeah, and he never, never drank again. Um, so there was some love. Um, but I think there was also a lot of pressure. And um, I think it's really good to have siblings, too, because then, I don't know, you kind of, you're not alone in this. But being the first child is kind of, it's difficult, I think. Also, I think <laughs> being a good parent, a parent takes practice. And I've been the object of that, I think.
0: (laughs) You were the warm-up.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: (laughs) Um, You had physical difficulties as a kid. Talk about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, This is something that unravels now at my older age. I had hip dysplasia when I was younger. And hip dysplasia is something that a lot of people get in the womb when when the hips get kind of fucked up a little and, and then so they get a little screwed and maybe get out of the socket on the you know and um, that's actually something that's being diagnosed pretty well today and can be fixed pretty easily without surgery even and, um, and it was diagnosed back in the day but something went kind of wrong and I'm still trying to figure out what went wrong, whether my mom didn't take enough care of me, because neglect has been a thing in my um, childhood a lot, and whether the doctors were just shit, you know, it's been a small town and might not have been the best of of doctors, so yeah, I struggle with that today, like hip dysplasia, not being able to to walk properly, and of course getting a lot of shit from it for it, for for my family too, like... I can't even count the, the, the many times where I've heard, go straight, watch your feet, do this, do that, and I physically couldn't, so I remember that kind of bullying from my family.
0: Any particular members of your family?
1: My aunt. Like, she has been... Really mom's
0: mom's sister?
1: Mom's sister, mom's older sister, yeah. The first of, in her generation, um, which is an interesting connection, because she has always been very hard on, on me, especially...
0: Was she harder on you than your mom was?
1: Yeah, she was cruel. I mean, my mom, with my mom, the, the main issue is neglect. My mom is a bit of a narcissist, and I'm, I'm struggling to call her that. I'm, I'm kind of... Um, I remember that the face that my therapist made when I told her, hmm, I kind of have an issue, you know, really tagging my mom as a narcissist because she's not so bad. I mean, on the scale of narcissism, she's kind of low. And my therapist was like, <laughs> she was kind of baffled a bit And I I remember that. that That was just recently, you know But I still do believe, yeah I mean, there are narcissists And then they are narcissists I mean, for a child, it doesn't really matter Neglect is neglect And you, exactly. you have, um, you're kind of an ambassador of that on, on the podcast, I think It doesn't really matter how severe it was Especially when you have a very sensitive kid um, You suck all of that shit up And then
0: If the message is you don't matter. It doesn't really matter what envelope it was mailed in.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I struggle really seeing, seeing that. And I'm, I'm working through that at the moment, actually. Really seeing, okay, my mom actually might be a narcissist. And you know that's part of this whole issue with narcissists. They're really good at telling you that they're not. <laughs> that the, yeah, that the issue is I'm you. laughing
0: because it, it's so perfectly... Describe and
1: I know that, but when and they we're project in that it, yeah. they
0: project everything they hate about themselves.
1: And I've done so much work, I've so not, not so much therapy and so much um, really self um, research, you know, within myself. But I still struggle with that, and that's like the fuckery of of narcissism, isn't it?
0: It really is. Yeah. It's it's a it is a form of brainwashing. Being raised by a narcissist is. is a form of brainwashing, yeah. and it takes years years to undo it doesn't there isn't an epiphany when it all suddenly goes away yeah
1: even though I must say my therapist's face it came close to an epiphany yeah that felt really good
0: when you said I think my mom might be yeah, her
1: face and and her being angry for me a little bit I I felt that like um, I've just restarted therapy not restarted by started my second round with her um, and that felt really good seeing that mirrored, because I had a very hard time for a long time to be angry. And, yes yeah, so Why? Because that's what I've been told not to be. We're not supposed to be angry. Um, or have any sort of feelings, really. Yeah. Also, I always had the idea that, like, my story's not so bad. Um... My family has its merits, like it would be so much easier if they would would all just be completely shit <laughs> like isn't that the truth? yeah, isn't that the truth? It would be so much easier i mean i shouldn't you know I shouldn't wish for my family being worse. I mean, there are families that kill their children, right so but sometimes I wish that
0: just in terms of making the decision to yeah. allow yourself to feel
1: yeah the pain, yeah, the
0: loss. The grief over what baseline things you didn't get. Yeah, I think. without
1: having this like major event that had happened and that you, you know.
0: It's so important, I think, to resist the urge to sum up that abuser or neglector as good or bad. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the total score is.
1: Yeah, but you know, I suffer from borderline. We're not particularly good at that. <laughs> so. Mm.
0: Well, would now be a good time. Actually, before we segue to you talking about uh, having borderline personality disorder, uh, give me some uh, moments with your mom that were emblematic of your relationship with her and her neglect. And also give me some good moments with your family Mm -hmm. to show that complexity.
1: Yeah, see, this is the, the problem um, um, with my mom. It kind of eludes me a little bit. Um, it's, <laughs> it's the little things oftentimes that mark her as a narcissist, I think. Um, i have just starting to really be much more aware of these things. And I, um, I had visited my family in December... Right before Chris- Christmas, which is always a great time for most people, probably <laughs> to figure out family stuff. It might actually be because, like, the the worst things come often, oftentimes come out at Christmas, you know, when everyone's kind of tense and stuff, mm-hmm. and um, everyone wants it kind of to be nice, but it really isn't because things aren't just working out. And uh, I had been a depressed for for a while by that time and I thought it would be a good (laughs) Stupid me saying it now. I thought it would be a good idea if I'm feeling low. I should really visit my family I don't know what that was about. Um, So yeah, I went for a couple of days and um, I just noticed little things that I hadn't noticed before with my mom like she can't really connect with me. She kind of tries i feel like she doesn't really listen she just waits waits for an opening for her to chip in something that is about her and um, i've always i think i've always made an excuse for her i just thought well she doesn't know any better or even worse i would think yeah well what i've been telling her wasn't particularly interesting so i guess it's okay that she kind of cut me short no it's not and the fact, I think the, the the fact that I'm I'm used to that and I'm 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 making excuses for it actually tells you tells you a lot I think um, so it must have already been like that um, yeah I rem- would would
0: your mom talk at length as well or or was it she just kind of wouldn't let you really. Um, express yourself, either because she would cut you off or she wouldn't really pay attention? Oh,
1: both. I remember we had this talk, like she would come into my room, she has this little guest room where I would stay and she would come in and she had just come from a birthday with her friends and she just, you know, opened the door and just told me, so I've been at this birthday and I've I haven't really been feeling it. I haven't been really feeling my friends. I felt like I c- couldn't really connect. That's what she has been telling me about this little birthday party that she just um went uh, came from and for a moment I felt like hey, this is something that I can relate to because I've been some feeling somewhat disconnected sometimes even in you know in the company of friends and I, that's something I that I've struggled with that in, in in the past and um i told her yeah you know what i've been feeling like that i can kind of understand i think and um but you know i've just met these new people And at the time i had made a couple of new friends some writers friends so i'm a writer myself or i, I uh, aspire to be and um i they really clicked with me and i felt like for a second there i really f- maybe i found my tribe or something and i was trying to tell her that um yeah, maybe you just keep on looking. Maybe those are not the right kind of people trying to kind of have a conversation. But apparently that was not what she was going for and she just turned around and left the room. Wow. And uh, Wow. And wow. I, th- I said, yeah. And I was really baffled by that and already making excuses for it. Maybe she... Uh, <laughs> But really failing to make an excuse for it. And uh, and I said something like, yeah, thanks for the conversation. That's been nice. And so she looked at me and smiled as if I was making a joke. And she I think she actually thought she did nothing wrong. And... Also, she didn't want to know anything she, about these she, new friends of mine, which was also very hurtful. Like, tell me about these new friends. Who are these people? Maybe I want to meet them and maybe you want to bring them. And so, it's showing some kind of interest. And for a second I thought, well, maybe I've not been validating her. Maybe I shouldn't have brought my issues up. But I really felt like, hate this is something that we can actually connect on. But no, it just went poof between us. And then she left the room and... Yeah,
0: and she, and she thought you were serious, whereas you had kind of meant it sarcastically. Thanks for having this great conversation. Uh,
1: I don't know. I, I don't. I, I honestly do not know. I cannot relate to that. I can relate to a lot of things, but just walking no, I out was, on something.
0: I, I was unclear when you said to her, "Well, thanks. It's been great having this conversation." I,
1: yeah, that's what I don't did, know. Did,
0: did you mean it genuinely, oh, or me. or was it like a? Sarcastic thing like, "Wow, thanks, mom."
1: Yeah, that's that, that was that's that, that was my notion. Um, and,
0: but she didn't realize that you were making a joke because I, she couldn't see that what she did was. I
1: think she did, but she might have just put it off as banter or something, like giving each other a little bit of shit and then have a laugh about I it. See. No, but I didn't think it was funny. But I was so baffled that I was struggling to say anything at all. So I said that maybe I wasn't I clear enough. But I gotcha. um, yeah, I remember that.
0: I think that's. <laughs> says a thousand words. And and I think people who experience and neglect, it's a thousand cuts. It's a thousand I cuts. I always
1: love that saying. We don't really... I kind of have that saying in German too, but it's not as um, visual, not as, you know, you have flesh and, and wounds and blood kind of. that. That's what it feels, death by a thousand cuts. I really love that saying. Because I haven't been... I haven't gotten a huge major blow or a couple of major blows. It was just constantly, constantly these tiny moments, which by themselves would have been just unfortunate. I mean, we we all sometimes we don't pick up on social cues and we just let things by that we should have in hindsight. Maybe, you know, these things happen all of the time. But I think my life has been a series of these little moments and these little hurts. And I think they have really shaped me. And I'm only now starting to understand, okay, maybe they, they've they had a huge impact on me. I mean, if
0: you think about it, somebody that has a couple of traumas, big traumas, we can look at that and go, oh, yeah, I can yeah. see how that would have affected you. And yet the person who was neglected, we we don't realize they've been given the message, you don't really matter a thousand times.
1: Yeah it sinks in
0: yeah it definitely sinks in yeah. and for the parent that sometimes has a lapse in focus and maybe doesn't pay as much att- attention as they should but is then there a lot of the other time i think that heals those little
1: absolutely things. yeah i don't think that you need an ever present parent you kind of need an okay parent that's enough yes. you just need i don't need someone who builds me up constantly but i just need a kind of a foundation to stand on. And I think not only have I not been given that foundation, I think my stand in this life has been kind of um, manipulated and and sabotaged a little bit. I do think that my family, not necessarily consciously, but did make somewhat of an effort to keep me small, to keep me insecure, because I've been a very smart child. And my my family, at least my, my parents, my stepdad and my mother, they're not that well-educated or well-informed. I'm not saying necessarily that, that they're stupid. They definitely think they're stupid. I think that also has a lot to play in the way that they treated me. They have probably saw okay, we have this talented child which picks up on everything. And there are certain things that we don't want to dig up. So we silence that child. We confuse that child. And that's something that narcissists like to do, like gaslight and uh, confuse and question everything about me and that's actually the recipe for borderline personality disorder you um completely skew the um the perception of the child and this is what i'm really struggling this with because this is really really mean like this world is already so difficult but if you fuck up a kid's intuition which is actually kind of good i'm a very empathetic person and you know growing up in a in a in a family of, with alcoholism of course i'm like any other child in that com um constellation i am very sensitive i pick up on um on the uh, the atmosphere of the room the temperature of the room kind of and um and when you fuck that up i mean you set your se- kid up for failure like When you send your kid out into the world being so confused about everything, you fall... That hasn't happened too much for me, but a lot of people who suffer from borderline personality disorder fall in with the wrong crowd and um, meet the the, the wrong people because they have been told your feelings, your intuition about this person doesn't, doesn't matter. Their opinion about you matters so much more. And that is so mean. That is so mean.
0: How did it begin to express itself in you? And by the way, um, I didn't know uh, that Anne had borderline personality disorder uh, until we were having a bite to eat about two, not even two hours ago. And one of the things that struck me is she doesn't bear any of the stereotypes other than sensitivity, but in a good way of somebody um, who has it. Uh, Although I would also say being bright uh, tends to be a a common trait of people with borderline personality disorder. But in terms of mood fluctuations, one of the most even-keeled people um, I've spent time with um, talk about that and, and how there is a spectrum of the way the disorder expresses itself in different people, especially those who have gotten help and learned dialectical behavior therapy.
1: Well, first of all, the outside does not match the inside.
0: In our spending time together this yeah. afternoon, have there been times when you've felt emotional turmoil, rage, f- terror, uh, fear? Uh, Things that you've that you've hid from me that you're comfortable sharing.
1: No, I've been pretty comfortable, but I um, the time leading up to our meetup. Um, has been really difficult because I've been really looking forward to this and then I've been like really scared especially about the fact (laughs) I was a little bit anxious that actually you would come to Berlin that that was kind of the plan and I thought so how do I entertain this guy that lives in LA so how can I make him happy and how can I make (laughs) it worthwhile for him and I've been dreading over this for a long time and I thought there's also always this idea that I'm super boring and he's going to be bored with me and he's not going to like me anymore and blah, blah, blah. And so these two diametrically opposed feelings have been kind of um, switching back and forth, sometimes um, in minutes. And that's that's a trait of borderline, absolutely. And um, But in general, I, I can say that this turmoil, this inner turmoil, usually does not show, but because this is also what I've learned. Also, there's something to say about, on, on the borderline spectrum, like, the severity of it, I do, in all fairness, I do rank somewhat low. I, there have been a lot of doctors kind of battling with each other, I, being in the hospital, and they just weren't too clear about it. They, they couldn't, someone said, yeah, she absolutely has borderline, and um, some other people said no, and you know, this is something that's not necessarily too important for me. I personally, um, in defense of bo- people with borderline personality disorder, I really want to say that I've met some people with borderline personality th- disorder and they were, some of them were pretty much like me. Like, Because, you know, we've lived a lifetime with this disorder already, so we've kind of figured out how to hide it. That's what I've learned. Some people have might have learned by themselves how to deal with it and not become... Raging idiots and um, Mean and take it out on other people And um, Yeah, it makes me sad that people see borderline As this, you know, the crazy Maniacs that cut themselves and I've met so many highly sensitive Highly intelligent people Beautiful people that really Really struggled and Yeah
0: I I consider you one no them.
1: no
0: no no. No, I do. You know, uh Ann and I have corresponded many times since you wrote that beautiful email to me uh several years ago. Mm-hmm. And um you're you're somebody who also doesn't mince words. You know, you're you're one of the least phony people um I've I've met. Uh and it it speaks to me, it speaks to the fact that borderline personality disorder is not a death sentence
1: absolutely not
0: it can be managed and um, that that there is a spectrum
1: not only that I think uh, people with borderline personality disorder tend to be very very sensitive and that can be harvested that can you can tap into that and that um yeah, like I said, a lot of the people with borderline personality disorder are very smart, and they're very social people, actually, very caring. They just oftentimes temporarily or by, um, by their upbringing have, have learned not to be that or to be overwhelmed with, with, with that, because there is something to say also about being sensitive in this world, because you know you, you know how the world is. It's, it doesn't really treat sensitive people that well.
0: As sensitive well. in this world.
1: Yeah, that that's yeah. difficult yeah, just to is. just to be in general. How
0: to be empathic without being a doormat. Show me show me where that Absolutely. is and I would love to uh yeah. to to live there.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um so give me an example of a way that you handled something before you began to get tools for this and a way you handled something after you learned tools for it.
1: So, I remember the first time I started DBT or even heard about DBT was um, what I learned is that you can actually regulate your feelings, that you can actually do that. Was, that was pretty much a revelation for me that I was not only able to do, do that, um, but also allowed to do that. I think this is something that a lot of people have to learn not just people with borderline personality disorder but of course people with that disorder um, especially because their emotions are like completely usually completely out of whack or just so extreme I think mm-hmm. um oftentimes and uh, also quite harmful not only to others but themselves and um yeah I remember that give me really give me some pause just hearing that and uh, that already has changed me in um So there are different approaches to DBT and skills, if you've ever heard that.
0: Yes. And for people that don't know, DBT is dialectical behavior Mm -hmm. therapy, which was created by a woman named Marsha Linehan, who later revealed that she uh, has borderline personality Mm -hmm. disorder. And it's a way of communicating and expressing your feelings with people that helps things from getting too intense and out of control.
1: It's a pretty complex thing and encompasses a lot of things like um, how to be, um, how, of course, how to be vocal about your feelings, where to put them, when to put them, um, and not only regulate them, but sometimes just let them happen. So you learn these different tools and it's it's a lot of work, but it's also incredibly freeing. And I can't really say, um, hmm. it's, it's. I think... What's so great about this therapy and what has a huge impact are the the minor moments, I feel like, Um, like just when you come home from from work or something or you had a stressful day or you had a falling out with someone, this whole idea not to take it out on yourself, maybe not punish yourself by, I don't know, whatever dysfunctional thing it is you're doing, but maybe um, draw yourself a bath or watch a nice movie or call a friend this is something that we have to learn that a lot of people have to learn um, but especially people who suffer from borderline personality disorder and people who ha- had narcissistic parents because that's something that you just don't do that's something that I learned actually that it's this weird idea of modesty like you don't do things for yourself and um, I really had to learn that and really also take the time just really be worth it and so, also so self-care self-care is a huge thing yeah mm-hmm. i i've not learned self-care enough well, it's
0: interesting too because that is also a huge component of people uh recovering from sexual abuse a, hu- a huge one i, a, I bet yeah you know, but go ahead
1: yeah so um i i think i really learned to be unhappy i think i've learned to be um silent invisible i've learned to be depressed that's for sure. And for a long time, I think this is why um, my borderline was for a long time so almost like dormant and why some people might not classify me as borderline is because there have has always been this depression um, over this whole construct of whatever else is going on with me. So I've kind of... I think I came to a point in my, when I hit puberty and later when I was like 16, 17, where I just shut down. I really feel like there has been a day where I just thought, I can't take this. I was, I'm trying to please everyone. And I've been such a, I think I've been such a good kid. I was so curious. And when I think about it, it makes me so angry. I've been so curious. And I've been, I've been cute and always hated myself. And when I look back at the pictures, I really think, what did you do? Like, How could you fuck that up? and um i think also my my family has always been somewhat scared of me being so sensitive because of course like i said um they didn't want all the issues to surface like the alcoholism the the um the frustration too like my family's kind of happy with being unhappy kind of and uh everyone's kind of there's so many um like um Dependencies, like weird dependencies, and people are so unhappy in that. And and yeah, when it comes to self care, I've 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 just recently realized that everything caring in my childhood um, might have been my grandma actually, and that's it, that idea is just a couple of days old actually. Um, I just thought about my childhood and I thought about where was my mom in all of this and she was just not there. Like the memories I have with her are mostly unpleasant to be quite honest. Maybe I don't really know what that means because memory tends to be fucked up a little bit sometimes but when I think about the facts like who got me to the doctor, who waited for me with a warm meal when I went home from school which is such a beautiful thing to do <clears throat> and it's also such a thing, you know, like for, for parents to do. And that—that that was my mom ma- and my grandma. And she took me on vacation. Like I spent a lot of time on on, on their boat, on on lakes and rivers and, and in forests. And I, I cherished that time a lot. She was the one who got me to the dentist and to the sauna. And she was the one that talked to me when I, when I got home, talked to me about friends and talked to me like I was a person. And um, I've been idealizing my grandpa a lot. <laughs> and was he was...
0: Were, were these the parents on your dad's side or your mom's my side? My
1: mom's side. Um, it's
0: interesting, too, that yeah. that they would have been the parents of somebody who was so narcissistic.
1: Um. What I find weird about the whole situation is that my mo- grandma has been a very strict mother and I think she has been very hard on especially my mom. I think my mom was a little bit of the Cinderella kind of character, taking care of the household, mm. taking care of her younger brother and kind of be a little bit of a maiden in this household. And uh, yeah, my my grandma has always also like... Um, she she beat my mom and um she didn't, two you. siblings. No. <laughs> Yeah, I keep seeing this thing
0: where a parent is abusive to their child and then is a warm grandparent. Yeah, that
1: happens often, yeah.
0: Is it because they're so afraid that that kid represents them, but as a grandparent, the pressure is so. off?
1: I think that's the case. Also, I think my grandma might have seen that my mom was maybe not cut out to be a mom, maybe.
0: And so she was like this is a chance for me to step in and
1: i think it's it, it, she felt it was her responsibility and i think she also loved me yeah yeah and also she like she made plans with me so i always had this sense of there is a future which is very important as i, I realize now because when she died i was 16 and she was just gone she left this like huge gap she, she was like the matriarch of the family and then she was gone and with it went all of the care that I really had. I started around that time, actually, my depression got really, really bad, and my the alcoholism of my mom got really, really bad. And because the matriarch was out of the family, and so she couldn't held everything together with her iron grasp, which she definitely had, and not necessarily on me, but on the rest of the family, probably even my cousin, my my little sister too. So I don't know what was what, what that was about, but I know that my sister and my cousin they don't have these fond memories of her, but I do.
0: Were, did you all live in close proximity? Oh yeah, that that's okay.
1: probably something that I should also mention. Like we had this huge house um, that was my granddad's on my mother's side, and which has been in the family for I don't know from how many generations, a lot of generations. And and this was where we all lived. We had this huge yard and this huge garden, and this was the place that I grew up, and where my mom still lives.
0: Can you think of a moment when you had turned your emotions loose, either outwardly or inwardly, before you learned these tools?
1: Passive-aggressively. Like, that's my thing. I have... um, I have an eating disorder. Um, I was somewhat anorexic—a a combination of all of the things. Like a little bit, I started dieting when I was like 12 because this is a huge thing. Like when I was 12, I turned a little chubby, and like I said, looking back at the pictures, I was kind of chubby, cute. You know, the, the kind of chubby that people usually grow grow out of than when they have puberty. But my family was making a huge deal about it and not necessarily to my face but I heard them talking behind my back which I still feel that pain that betrayal of my like I remember my whole family sitting together around the coffee table which I was for some reason not invited to probably because I was a little chubby and so you just stop eating cake or something I don't know what the thought behind that was and I felt really struck and really betrayed and that happened a couple of times and I realized okay so my body is apparently a public interest and Apparently not right. So I started dieting myself, and how you do that when you're 12 years old? What do you do? You stop eating, and that's a really good idea. Um, I say ironically um, when you're just about to hit puberty and you're growing, and your brain is growing, your muscles, and then your bones are growing. It's really a good idea to stop eating, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. And I think there's also some. By, by the way, yeah.
0: First time I've heard a German be sarcastic. It was rumored that the Germans do not enjoy sarcasm I want it noted I experienced one we've
1: been spending the whole day that couldn't have been the first time Um, so yeah what I also find interesting is that my binge eating disorder which later developed because when you don't eat anything the whole day um, what you're going to do then is you you start binging because your body kind of craves that food and it's probably good that it does because I might not be here today I might be dead and um, even though I've struggled with weight and body image issues my whole life, and I'm kind of coming somewhat to terms with it now, but it was a real struggle, and um, I've done a lot of damage to my body, I think, and I'm really sorry for that.
0: With with weight fluctuations or weight
1: fluctuation, like my skin looks really bad. It looks really like it looks old, and looks I have like these. I like to consider them battle scars, but um, it makes me sad looking at them sometimes it makes me proud because it shows me i've survived that because that shows me there has been a battle inside of me and, and my body really shows and um yeah so i think what also has not been too helpful with my eating disorder was so back when my, my grandma was still alive um she would cook for me when i came home so that was nice but she was would also always make finish and this is so post world war Two, grandma finish your plate Mm-hmm. No matter if you're still hungry, no matter if you like it. And that, what that teaches you is your opinion, your your intuition, your, um, your integrity over your own needs doesn't matter. So that wasn't incredibly helpful. And also, like, you, she basically taught me to overeat and then also would be the first one to tell me that I've gained some weight, <laughs> which is the real kicker. <laughs>
0: Ignore your sense of moderation. Yeah. Jesus Christ, can't you do anything moderately? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this is the, the level of confusion that I have learned. And I think, till this day, I am inherently confused. If I had one word to describe me, it would be somewhat like confused or just completely ambivalent and irritated. Um, and I really struggle... Which also plays into borderline personality disorder because it fucks up your 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 inner sensor
0: sense of what is real that, that.
1: what is good for you and mm. um, yeah like your intuition, who is good for you and what do you eat to feel better and I think for a lot of people, especially eating is a very something very intuitive you you eat when you 're hungry and you stop when you are full. and I understand it 's difficult in this Mm. in this society because there's an abundance of food. And, of course, sometimes it's just difficult to stop. And some foods are actually engineered for you to overdo o- overdo it, but um, I think most people don't struggle as much as people struggle with eating disorders.
0: Talk about, unless there's some some more uh, family stuff that you'd, you'd like to touch on or some more uh, developing of tools um, that you'd like to touch on, at some point I want to talk about... Um, when the wall came down and your family's perception of history etc and your parents were born um, late 50s early 60s so um, that was basically when the Berlin Wall was beginning to go up
1: yeah exactly Yeah, I think the the wall was built in in 1960 so they've kind of been born into it from day one and so my mom she tells this story so I'm not exactly sure whether I really remember it or I just heard it like uh, one times too too often heard telling the story of watching the news and it was late October I think and then late at night like I don't know half past nine or something the news showed this uh, press conference um, of the foreign minister I think at the time this would have been in what year? In 89, yeah. Um, and apparently someone has been saying on the news, like a state official actually has been saying on the news that it's possible now to leave the country without any sort of permit. Like you could instantly leave. And this caused a huge uproar. Not really an uproar, but... Um, um, and my mom... Told me about. I, I don't really know. She tells the story of her sitting in the living room and being really, really worried about this. So, apparently, the the former German Democratic Republic is falling apart, and she is very, very scared because. Meaning, um,
0: East Germany is falling apart. East
1: Germany is falling apart apparently, and um, and now that's kind of the beginning of the end for her because. Capitalism is just around the corner And, and um, criminal, uh, uh, crime And everything bad And uh, drugs and stuff Which we totally did not have Which is me being again sarcastic Because of course we had weird shit going down In, in, in eastern Germany Right And so that was completely naive And um, yeah But that was the story that she to- told Like she would be scared for her children And um yeah, she didn't want that. She wanted the safety and the, the security of basically being locked up. And um, I must say to her defense, she has been heavily indoctrinated. You know, when you're basically being the first generation, of course, people are going to tell you that everything's great the way that we do it. And we're going to protect you from everything, especially from free thought um, and all of the burden that comes with that and yes so, so so she has been scared
0: well my my country has indoctrinated us into thinking yeah. it's freedom to be able to go bankrupt by having cancer
1: yeah 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 i mean if if you would just try harder you'd be healthy i mean <laughs> <laughs> let's face it yeah um And to be fair, of course, every country, every government has has its own um, idea of how things are supposed to go. And every country forms its inhabitants. I'm not naive. And we have that in in, in Germany today. You know, we have a lot of um, anti-Russia propaganda. And um, I don't think it's always giving us the full picture Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, yeah, I, I get that.
0: So your mom's recollection of being afraid for this... As she recalls this, can she see that her fears were perhaps not justified, or does she, is she saying, see, I was right?
1: Um, she's one of the people, she kind of has her own thing going on. I think that does not necessarily always um, reconcile with reality. I mean, we all have that to some extent. But I think once she's stuck with a certain feeling, and with a certain idea, then she's going to stick with it. And she's somewhat open, I must say, to a couple of things. But I think as I had already told you, I think for a lot of people who still idealize their time in Eastern Germany and things not being so bad and people kind of being secure, it has not been that oppressive. I mean, it has been somewhat torturous and family's been torn apart and people being incarcerated for like 20 years for just saying the wrong thing. But, you know, for me personally, things have kind of been nice and I, I give her that. That might actually be true. My mom is not a very political person. She gets along, kind of. She doesn't speak up too much. So for someone like That having a piece of land in a beautiful countryside, I might have been kind of okay, and um, yeah, but you can't totally ignore like all the crimes of the regime, that's just that just fucks me up completely, and also that I hate the fact that she cannot acknowledge that she. Well, maybe that's the problem. She would have to acknowledge the fact that she brought a child into this oppressive system, which I wouldn't even blame her for because you know people reproduce. That's what they do. And
0: she didn't honestly know any better. She didn't know that she had been raised in pure exactly. propaganda. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. But on on some level, I think she might be a little bit ashamed. Um by that, so she um kind of subscribed subscribes to this um stockholm syndrome, as I like to call it, which it it almost kind of is i think um and yeah, also like i said she's been young and and kind of things have been all right for her, so um
0: I just love that somebody in East Germany had Stockholm syndrome <laughs> the West did get to her yeah uh so when the wall came down, obviously you were young. You were, what, seven years old. Mm-hmm. What do you remember or what memories as you watch them now bring up any kind of emotions in you? Video footage yeah. or things? What what things kind of resonate? And
1: I think... That the events of that night of uh, in October have been pretty extraordinary and pretty unique, I think, because things could have gone south pretty easily. Like, um, so if people are not f- familiar with um, the, the history of it, it's really worth just watching a documentary and watching the real footage of it of that night of is the it news. It's uh, a lot of it is on YouTube. You can you can. Watch is there it. a
0: particular documentary that you would recommend?
1: Mm, no, not necessarily. There are a couple of good ones, I guess. I can't remember the names. There are also a couple of good movies. We talked uh, about Life of the Others, for Life example. of Others is yeah.
0: an amazing uh, movie. And, and uh, you had said that it, you felt like it was a, an accurate depiction of... Uh, what it felt like to live in East Germany in terms of being mm. watched.
1: I can say that. I was too young to really make make that mm. acknowledgement, but I I'm think- saying it for you. Oh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but what I, what I like about it is I'm a sucker for these kind of stories where the villains are not all bad. Like, there's this Stasi worker who's been listening on, and this actress, I think, and kind of being part of her life. And, and of course, in a very invasive, awful way, but kind of like... Kind I want to give too much away of 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 yes. of, of the movie because it 's very subtle, and I just like that, it's that really just, subtle yeah, yeah and, and also like a lot of people thought they were doing the right thing like they they were um fending off the 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 um, um, the, the enemies of the state, and yeah. um this state is kind of a good thing and needs to be protected. And so, yeah, I think that's a good idea to keep that in mind and not, not to just vilify people mm. um, without really reflecting on what might have driven them and stuff. So I like that. But I'm also, I also I really enjoy the footage of that night from the news, uh, especially the press conference, which is still a little bit of a mystery what ex- exactly happened there, who actually gave the order for... Um, the borders to open, which is all pretty interesting, and the fact that it was an it was a silent, almost a silent, almost a polite kind of uproar, which is so jarring. Like they were basically standing in line saying, "So is this happening or not?" Nah? Looking at their
0: watches, <laughs> looking up at the guard tower. It's
1: getting kind of cold. I mean, it yeah. is October, and you know, I think we left the, the TV on. <laughs> so.
0: Did that guy with the rifle just yawn? I think, I think this I is think my the, chance. The guys
1: with the rifle were just terribly confused. That's yes. what they were, and they. Were, have been very hesitant shooting at their own people because, because there are masses gathering at the border in Berlin um, um, at, the, at the border point um, and nobody lost their shit and if just one of them had it might have been a bloodbath
0: and you were saying a lot of the guards hadn't heard the news yet.
1: Yeah, it was also sudden. Just people just right lived right around the corner at the border point in Berlin because it was just basically drawn in the, in the middle of the city, and people w- were walking up to it, just really seeing whether that was true. Not really wanting to leave right now because you know you, all your livelihood was here, and the families were here, and, and um, of course they didn't want to leave right away. They just came to watch. Is this true? And the guards were like. I don't know where did you hear that? We didn't hear anything. So they I guess they just waited out and people got impatient. And I love seeing that footage. There were a lot of courageous people really standing there. A couple of pretty moving pictures and and, and video footage of um there's this one woman just yelling at the guard, crying almost like what are you doing? And I don't know why that tears me up. Probably because it is really fucked up to make your countryman basically keep people from getting away like their own countrymen how can you arrive at such a point I find this whole idea incredibly preposterous and even though I've never really felt being caught I always felt kind of caught in my family but not really in the system because I was much too young for that like my garden was my world like all the, the fucking animals that lived there and it was a beautiful place like I said so I didn't really miss much of that but I do have nightmares when I was younger, after the war came down, of being locked up, like a wall rising around me and locking, up and locking me up in this confined space. I find that incredibly scary. I'm not, I, like I said, I'm not much of a globetrotter, but, but this whole idea of not being able to leave the country because someone just decided you're not to be trusted with free will, how fucked up is that? And I think German people have um, been complacent for a long time. And when they could smell freedom, they kind of, I, that's what it feels like to me. They were kind of like, yeah, freedom has, was a thing one time that would actually be kind of nice. So they kept standing there and kind of probably working themselves up a little bit. So um, that's what I find really beautiful. And some of them just shouted, we are the people. Just do you need a reminder? We are the people. We are this country. So what are you doing? And yeah, pretty pretty emotional stuff.
0: You want to do some fears and loves? Absolutely. Hit me with them. Uh, I'm going to do one since we're here in the Netherlands. And by the way, the reason we were are recording you here instead of Berlin, Anne came down with the flu when I was in Berlin and was kind enough to warn me. Uh, that uh, and, and just to let you know, you're not the only one that is, uh, uh, overthinks things and doubts her intuition. When you said that you came down with the flu, I thought, oh, no she now knows that I'm a terrible person. And and she's backing out. Yeah,
1: and that's what made me feel so terrible, Paul. So you're responsible. (laughs) Fuck you very much.
0: Uh, I love, uh, in the Netherlands, just the silliness of some of the buildings. They're just, I'm not a big fan of the word whimsical, but there's really no other way to describe it. The hotel that we're recording this in right now is straight up like if you showed it to a kid, <laughs> it would be their favorite toy.
1: That's, yeah, no, that's what, what a kid would have come up with if yes. they <laughs> How yeah. do you want to build a hotel? Oh, like this. Yeah. So my fears... I fear that life would have been better if I would have been born 50 years later, and that a major breakthrough in immortality research is just around the corner. And while I don't think that the idea of immortality is necessarily a good thing, I fear that I might be missing out on humanity's greatest, biggest, and um, most exciting chapter. Mm.
0: That's a great one. That is a great one. Um, I'm afraid... That I think I'm healthier than I actually am.
1: Oh, wow, yeah.
0: Mentally and emotionally. Yeah. I suppose, and physically, but...
1: I fear that by gaining confidence, I'll become an arrogant asshole.
0: (laughs) (sighs) I'm afraid I will always pick apart the way I look.
1: Yeah, I I feel that too about myself. I fear that my my writing reveals something about me that I don't know and that marks me as that person.
0: That marks you as a fat person? As
1: that person, oh, what, that what, person. whatever it it might be, maybe I'm pretentious, maybe I'm I'm racist or sexist or something and I, I don't really you. know that about I myself.
0: I got you. Um that you'll be discovered for the awful person that you deep down are but can't see, but everyone else can see. Yeah, and the funny
1: thing is that after I read that down a couple of days later, I I listened to a a writer's podcast and and the the host of the show, who is a famous author, says um, that's actually the stuff that you want to write that makes you feel that way. Like you're giving away a little bit too much of yourself. That's the good stuff.
0: Mm. I am afraid that... Um, once I am no longer under uh, my wife's health insurance, you know, when it's legal, mm. our divorce is legal, that I won't be able to afford health insurance or I will be uh, denied coverage uh, because of all of the issues and operations, etc.
1: Yeah, and the I'm, medications I yeah. have to take. I am so so sorry for everyone mm. in the U.S. who's struggling with that. I'm really sorry. I fear that the man that I'll finally fall in love with is secretly sexist and sees me as inferior.
0: Is there a particular guy this is uh, based on, or this is just in the? The future? sad
1: thing about it is, I think I think I pick, I'm picking the good one. I think my picker is okay. Yeah. That's the sad thing about it, yeah. I'm, I'm also kind of afraid that that makes me a hypocrite, because I am the one that looks down on people, kind of, secretly. Um, but I'm most afraid that these thoughts are only going to prevent me from ever knowing true human connection, intimacy, and love, because I've never been in love.
0: Would the word uberbleiben apply to that? Uh
1: Who is uberbleiben? Me?
0: that no the previous thought about you overthinking about you uh actually being the one who's sexist
1: yeah i'm definitely overthinking this i think (laughs) this is the only way that you can really experience love if you let let go of the excessive thoughts and just accept and trust and trust it's so
0: fucking hard yeah it is so hard i just wanted to work in the word uberbleiben because somebody taught it to me when i was in baden baden fantastic um I am afraid that this, all the political turmoil that's happening right now, is not a blip on the radar.
1: Hmm.
0: But we're heading towards an iceberg. And it's a minority portion of me that fears that. Yeah. But it's a larger portion that than I have ever felt.
1: I'm hopeful. I fear that the long periods of isolation have driven a wedge between me and the rest of the world that can never be completely removed. So yeah, I did mention that I have these, when, I, when my depression gets really bad, I isolate myself and I get pretty antisocial somewhat. And I fear that also the, the, the years of depression have made me weak, and even if I'm getting better, I won't be able to shake off the bad habits of depression. And I feel that the lack of challenges and avoidance of conflict in my life have made me inherently lazy and self-absorbed.
0: I am afraid that the longer I live alone, the more set in my ways and used to having my own way I will become. And I will become that curmudgeon person that's unbearable to be around because they always have to have everything their own way,
1: yeah that's that's yeah, that's basically in a nutshell what I wanted to express, yeah, yeah. I fear that I will kill myself doing something stupid out of impatience or not calling a doctor soon enough, <laughs> like trying to grab something off the carpet or something and then not getting, not getting a ladder or something and just hitting myself on the head and dropping dead or something just because I've been too impatient and stupid. It's going to happen, I, I know it. Um, or maybe not calling the doctor soon enough when I experience the symptoms of a stroke or heart attack um, because I will always question, oh, am I feeling bad enough to call the doctor yet? I'm kind of getting blind and one of my limbs is falling off, but (laughs) is it soon enough already? And I'm also afraid that I'm doing something minor in my life that will have a major impact on my health in the long run, like buying the wrong brand of toothpaste or something.
0: (laughs) Uh, Any more fears?
1: I think I have. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> pick t- pick
1: I basically wrote a book of fears. <laughs> Give me
0: two more fears and then let's go to love.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Let's do the funny ones. I fear fear that I will lose my sense of smell and I'll become that person that is being recognized by their funky odor.
0: Oh, my God. I have that one, too. I have a fear that with older age, I will lose the ability to hold in my gas.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I I also feel that at an old age, I get spiteful towards young people and be that grumpy old hag that kind (laughs) of let go of the old days. And I think... And I'm really afraid that I've been already born that way a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for my fears. Let's do some loves. I love people chuckling, like, especially grown-ass men that seem so serious and professional, and then they chuckle like little boys and their whole personality lights up. That's why I love watching footage of men and women completely losing their shit about some silly joke on air.
0: The outtakes of anchorman are yeah. the best. The best, Um, any outtake with Will Ferrell, (laughs) yes, the fucking best. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm trying to think of something specific about Baden Baden because there's so many things that I loved about it. Um, I loved just how it felt like. Everything in my life had changed in those two days that that I was there. In terms of my surroundings, like I went from the hot, dry, crowded Los Angeles, where everything is you know fast, 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 and all of a sudden I was in this throwback. Church bells ringing, spring is blooming. Everything's green. Cobblestone streets. Um, and it all hit me in this one moment as I was sharing with you earlier, where I was having a coffee and this guy was playing piano. He had rolled a piano outside, and it was the most amazing piano I'd ever heard. And I started crying. I asked him to play for Elise, and he started playing that, and I started crying, and I cried through the next four songs, and I was trying to not cry, and people were starting to stare at me, but in that moment, I loved that I felt like the universe was giving me a hug by saying, you can have this sunny day, you can have this cobblestone street, you can hear this beautiful music, you can drink this perfect coffee, you can go to this incredible spa, you, can, you have people that support you, that have allowed you to go fly and interview people. The universe doesn't hate you, and I think that's what made me cry, and I was also a little lonely.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh. I love this moment when you're out in nature. Oh, a thunderstorm is building up, and you realize that you are actually part of this collective, living, breathing organism called Earth.
0: That's a great one. I love the excitement of somebody setting down a gigantic Dutch pancake right in front of you.
1: You were the pancakes. I love to see women supporting and appreciating each other, and I love how their courage and unapologetic self-love is helping me with my body image issues and compassion for myself and others. And I love to see men encouraging each other to be vulnerable and toss the shackles of toxic masculinity.
0: Wow, is that a great one.
1: Yeah, and your podcast is basically part of it, too. Like, I really am a sucker for that.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's been... um it has been uh, a hard thing to. Um, it is hard thing for men to to navigate. I think in so many cultures, because we haven't been taught an alternative yeah. to the hero that yeah. pulls out a gun,
1: mm-hmm. or
0: punches somebody in a bar. Yeah. Um. I love. <laughs> I love sitting next to somebody with a ridiculously upper-class British accent Mm -hmm. and just eavesdropping and thinking, you have no idea how silly you sound to me. And then thinking, oh, that means I probably sound really silly to them.
1: Um. Yeah, that ties in a little bit with the other one. Um, I love to witness the shift in storytelling that, that you can kind of see, I think. Um, especially seeing more diverse, more realistic, inspiring female characters and kind and vulnerable male, male characters that are not being portrayed as weak.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, I think it's one of the reasons why I really like the, the series Girls, too. Um, because it... It just uh to me is like one of the th- one of the things that feels like it is um just saying, you know, we've had enough of portrayal of this thing as this and this thing as this. Uh you know, this thing exists. Let's show this. Hmm. And um I think that's one of the reasons why I connected so much to that movie, The Lives of Others, mm-hmm. is because throughout the '80s, the villain was always Russian yeah. or East German,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then there was this character, yeah. this East German character,
1: and also people bonding like this yes. this man and this woman, and not necessarily being uh, rom- romantical necessarily, right, right? On, a, on a human level here. Right. I. This is a little lame, but I just have to say it. I love the internet and how it gives people access to knowledge and communities that they would have otherwise never have found.
0: Fuck, I love it because I can make a living. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's changing. <laughs> doing something I love. Yeah. doing something I
0: love. Um, I have to do this one because you're here. I fucking love German engineering. The hotel in Baden Baden and the hotel in Berlin was like something James Bond designed. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It was crazy. Just how thought out everything was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there was something very comforting to me about it. It it's it's like I, I suddenly understood the uh I don't know if it's it, it the thing with Germans and order.
1: I was about to say that, yeah. Yes.
0: I suddenly understood it because it was comforting to me.
1: Yeah, and also shows you how um, ambivalent something can be, like a character trait. Like, you know, Germans are sometimes being known and mocked for being a little bit pedantic. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Like, a little bit, you know... Detail-oriented. Uh, detail-oriented. And um, it can be annoying, but, you know, German get shit done. That's also kind of cool. So, you know, yeah. every character trait c- comes with its upsides and downsides, I guess. Yeah, speaking of technology, I love space. And I love the fact that I'm living at the brink of space colonization and that I'm basically able to witness science fiction in the making.
0: That is cool. I love... I love visiting a a country I've never been to before and having an experience, a moment there that is kind of stereotypical, Mm -hmm. but also has a uniqueness to it.
1: This is my last one. So I used to sit my sister's dog, Charlie, and I trained him not to lick people's hands and faces. And even though the training went well and he generally wouldn't do it, I loved the fact that when I came home, he would lick my hand ever so slightly, just barely, and just the tip of his tongue only once. (laughs) And even though I don't like it when when dogs are licking people, I was always looking forward to that moment where he couldn't help himself but lick my hand just a little bit.
0: We got to end on that one. Yeah, and thank you for um, making the trek. Thank you for um, being a listener, being a supporter, um, supporting me uh, personally and uh, emotionally over the years, and uh, being you. I love you. Love you too. You you couldn't see it, but. When she said, I love you, she made the jerk off symbol and uh, rolled her eyes. So uh, I was actually very deeply hurt. And uh, it was a horrible way to end the (laughs) interview. I just ruined my own little bit. Oh, at least I wasn't in front of a a club full of people. That is the worst when you're doing stand up and you, like, if you're struggling to get the crowd and you just start to get them and then you botch one of your own jokes. Oh, the fucking worst. Anyway, uh, this episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. And of course, uh a gazillion thanks to Anne for being um, so great. So great. Really love this, um, this interview with her. That interview with her. I would only say this if I was holding the MP3 file in my hand. I love, by the way, too, that she has better English than anybody I know. And I love, too, that I didn't say speaks better English. She has better English. <laughs> I'm getting dumber by the second. All right. Um in case I haven't told you guys yet, and I don't think I have actually, a lot of these episodes you've been hearing recently were recorded when I made a trip to Europe uh, for the express purpose of um, broadening our stories. Um, I record a lot of Americans, and uh, I really feel like the show needs to have um, a more global what the word be palette? I'm at a loss for words tonight. Um, it needs more variety, and but it costs money to go to uh, to Europe. And a listener who was kind enough uh, started a GoFundMe page uh, so that I can get back there and get to Ireland uh, and record uh, some guests that I really want to record there, but didn't have time or money to uh, do so the last time I was I was there. So I'll put the link to that under the show notes for this episode, and you'll. I'm already starting to bore myself. Let's talk about Blue Apron. You know, we talk a lot about self-care on this podcast, and cooking a delicious meal for yourself is a super, super great way to be nice to yourself. And uh the first time I tried Blue Apron, I was like, I love it. And I subscribed, and I have been doing it now for over a year and a half. And I eat it consistently every single week, and I couldn't be happier with it. Uh, for less than ten bucks a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned, preportioned—not preportioned ingredients right to your door uh some of the meals available in july include uh, seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles i don't know what quick pickles is i, I actually i briefly danced under the name uh, quick pickles in the early 80s uh, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges that was my second name in the early 90s sweet potato wedge um Fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper. And that's one of the things I love about Blue Apron, too, is they introduce you to uh, items that you have never even heard of before. It's it's awesome. And then finally, uh, chili butter steaks with... Uh, Parmesan potatoes and spinach. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com mental. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so do not wait. That's blueapron.com mental. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, let's get to the surveys. And there are other ways that you can support the show. Um, you'll see them on the, on the show notes or, uh, for this sh- or other episodes, or just go to metalpod.com. That's our website. Um, and click on the donate thing and there will be stuff there. This is a happy moment filled out by I Dream of Weenie. And, uh, they write, my happy moment is coming to the realization this morning that not only do I no longer care what my younger racist sister thinks of me and what I should be doing with my life and child, but also when she calls me, quote, two PC, politically correct, to talk to... As an insult, since I'm supposedly not down-to-earth and real enough for taking offense to her and her husband mocking a homeless man with an illness by barking and making faces at him from her $30,000 Jeep and then creating an extremely offensive Halloween costume based on him, it's actually a fucking shining badge of honor. It's amazing what a little perspective and talking to the right emotionally healthy people can do. Oh, I love that one. I love that one. I love too that you managed to pull off a really, really uh, grammatically dicey sentence that I still somehow managed to understand and read. There, there was uh, there was a lot of flow charting needed for 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 us to follow that, but you pulled it off. Kudos to you. This is uh, an awfulsome moment filled out by celestial speck. And she writes, my boyfriend and I were going to a show that his theater group was putting on. Uh, The day of, before we were supposed to leave, we started getting a little sexual and I started giving him a blowjob. His grandmother walked in midway. She thought we'd already left for the show and so she hadn't bothered knocking. Me being the awkward person I am, I started nervously laughing. We were late to the show. Um, And I'm hoping... That cum didn't shoot out of your nose. How could I? How could I not make that joke? Easily, but I have no sense of decorum, and that's why I made it. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Risk K, and she writes, "I've been struggling with mental illness since I was thirteen-ish. At this point in my life, it feels like it's just a part of me. But at sixteen/slash seventeen, I was really struggling to figure it out." Before I'd gotten any mental health care yet, I had what you would call an aha moment. I was in my bedroom, feeling sorry for myself for cutting again. I remember that I'd been telling myself for years whenever I got very upset, it's not a big deal. There's nothing wrong with you. Just stop feeling badly about nothing. I thought I had life too good to have anything to be upset about. Upper middle class family, good school, married parents, etc. Well, all of a sudden I realized... Me thinking that I was making mountains out of mole, molehills, so to speak, was my problem. Years of telling myself to stop feeling shitty about nothing was so counterproductive, and finally realizing this made it possible for me to do, for me to at least stop shitting on myself for feeling pain. Of course, in hindsight, I really did have some things going on that I do consider, quote, real problems. My dad was emotionally unavailable and had a hair-thin anger fuse. My mom was more concerned about her own feelings than mine, etc. Anyway, the moral of the story is validate your feelings regardless of circumstance. Otherwise, you can never learn to keep them in check. Preach. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, uh, my upcoming solo exhibition is entitled Oblivion, but really, I'm fine. You guys are the fucking greatest. Um, She is bisexual in her 30s, uh, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I began obsessively drawing and writing characters having sex when I was eight years old, and hiding it. I would also play with dolls as though they were performing sexual acts on each other, and whenever I was at the house alone, I would watch, rewind, and rewatch the scenes in movies where any kind of sexual act was taking place. I don't remember anything happening to me, and I don't know where this behavior came from. My parents weren't modest at all around us and would walk in front of my siblings and I naked or in underwear until I was about 13, but I never remember feeling uncomfortable about that. I also remember accidentally walking in on my dad watching porn around the same age, but I don't remember feeling anything other than embarrassed on his behalf. I'm afraid that I was assaulted at some time around 8 but suppressed it. And if I suppressed it, how painful must the experience have been that I forgot it to protect myself. I became sexually active at 13. I'm still very highly sexualized and I feel proud of how, quote, safe uh in parentheses, safely adventurous I am in bed. But I'm also afraid that once whatever memory might be lurking surfaces, all of that will change and be a source of shame. I couldn't help but think as I was reading this that you know, there is nothing wrong in and of itself with nudity, but the intent of a parent walking around naked in front of their child when that child is um, eight years old and, and beyond, um, the context of it has everything to do with it. And I would start there in talking to your therapist about this because you didn't feeling feel anything at the time um doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't a big deal because a lot of us, when we were kids and we were trapped in environments where we didn't have a choice, um, we numbed ourselves and we buried how we were feeling about things. So um, I'm not a therapist, but my hunch tells me there's something more to this than you thinking it didn't bother you um could be totally wrong but a parent walking around in front of uh a kid older than a toddler um is a red flag to me but again the context would be something else you know it it's a hard, this is the part. This is one of the reasons why I created the podcast. There is so much gray area with stuff. Um, it's it it's so hard sometimes to categorize something. But um, a book I would recommend you, uh, if you if you're listening to this, or you relate to this, read a book called "Silently Seduced" by Kenneth Adams. It is a profound book about covert sexual abuse and what she just described in here many 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 therapists would uh classify as sexually abusive um because if it doesn't take into co- into consideration how the child feels about that adult walking around naked um it that is abusive because it is using sexuality um in a manner that makes a child uncomfortable and doesn't give them um, doesn't respect their wishes to feel, um, safe. Um, what, I think you understand what I'm saying. she writes uh I've ever been physically or emotionally abused uh been emotionally abused i was in a loving relationship very young we were both very immature and ulti- ultimately became codependent uh to each other's codependency which evolved into manipulative behaviors which then morphed into a cycle of breakups uh always initiated by me and reconciliations initiated by both of us at different points all of this created resentment on his side and resignation on mine um you know, a lot of times, what, and especially people who have experienced um, some type of sexual trauma or had boundaries, icky boundaries, crossed um, by a family member, uh, it, love addiction or sex addiction um, appears, and when that person gets older, or even at, th- at that age. And it's really easy to mistake intensity for love, um, or intimacy. Um, it's, I, a lot of times we think because I'm feeling so intense in this moment that, that this is love, but love is a lot more complicated than that. Love is, love and in intimacy means having difficult conversations. It means, um, talking about where is the line between accepting you for who you are and being a doormat, Um, talking about what is scaring you, Um, all kinds of different things. And those are the things that, after that first three months of fucking a new person starts to wear off, uh, those are the things that, really kind of need to be navigated to say is this is this is there love here? Um anyway, I I hope um I hope you get get it I hope you examine that with a um with a therapist um, because it just uh, reading that it made me angry at your parents and um, it's all about me (laughs) this is a shame and secret survey filled out by peachy flamingo and uh, she is straight and 19 and she just filled this out uh, partially so I'm just gonna read uh, what she has filled out um raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment um and i and I wanted to read this because this much like uh a lot of the stories we hear highlights how complicated relationships can be with with people and uh, she's never been sexually abused um but she has been physically and emotionally abused and she writes a phrase which has always stood out to me as one of the most hurtful things my mother ever said was when she suggested that I was a waste of vital organs and that my lungs, heart, and liver should have been given to someone else because I don't deserve to live. I was 15 when she said this, and since then I have struggled with severe depression, anxiety, and low self-worth. To this day, she denies that those words ever came out of her mouth. She denies all instances of emotional abuse, stating either that it didn't happen at all or... I am over-exaggerating or can't take a joke. My mom would do that sometimes, uh, too, and it uh, it just feels like fuel on the fire when then somebody, you know, somebody letting out their rage, uh, I, I would say sometimes, I would say, well, where is the joke there? Because really, on the surface, you're just being hostile. Um, and then here's what I wanted to read in addition to this. Uh, any positive experiences with abusers. Uh my mother and I have tons of positive experiences together, and she is the person I love more than anyone else. The thing about my mom is she is only emotionally abusive some of the time, and so I try to stick it out for our happy moments. When she's acting happy and loving towards me, it feels totally worth it. But when she's angry and hostile towards me, I feel like I'm making a big mistake by sticking around. You are so not alone in dealing with this and um i think a support group would be really good to help with that i know there are some great 12 step ones for people that grew up in um uh, listen to the episode with um i think it's the one that we did with natalie feinblatt about codependence and we talked about some um some codependency um support groups, but the damage that a gaslighting parent can do to a kid's ability to trust their own instincts can't be overstated, and it affects everything in that child's life when they grow up, their relationships, um, how they view the world. And especially their ability to set boundaries. And you deserve to have a mom who is consistent in her love towards you. Yes, all parents make mistakes. All parents occasionally get angry. But there's a difference between somebody getting a little upset and a pattern of emotional abuse. Those are two completely different things. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by poop rope. And uh, she writes, I'm sharing two moments. The first has to do with alcohol abuse. And the second has nothing to do with mental health, but it is just gross and needs to be shared. One, I abuse alcohol, but not on a daily basis. I use it to cope. And by the way, that there's many alcoholics uh, who don't drink. They're binge drinkers. Um, and that's not to say you're an alcoholic just letting you know. I use it to cope with depression, anxiety, and once I start, I cannot stop. That's an alcoholism red flag. I don't know if this is considered alcoholism or just stupidity. No, it's not considered stupidity. Um, and that's not to say that it's a wise decision, but it's, um, it's a compulsive decision, not a, um, Oh, shut up, Paul. A couple of weeks ago, I began walking home from a bar just after midnight by myself, completely shit-faced. I woke up over an hour later in the grass on the side of the road, confused and cold. I was only a hundred yards from the bar. Clearly, I had needed a rest before continuing my journey and thought, why not just lay down any old place? I was lucky nobody had seen me and called the cops. Once I got my bearings, I staggered the rest of the way home, tried not to puke in my driveway and went to bed. The next week, my mom came to town for my bridal shower and we went to an outdoor picnic and concert with my fiancé's family. I have never told my mom or my fiancé's parents about any of my issues and generally wear a mask around them we sat right across the street from the spot I had drunkenly napped the week before. As I made pleasantries and politely passed the salad, I could see the spot out of the corner of my eye, a constant and glaring reminder of who I really am, a piece of shit laying uselessly on the side of the road. Number one, you are not a piece of shit. Um, Number two, it sounds like you are in pain and you don't have coping mechanisms that are working for you and you don't have a support network. And I think a great place to start would be to look at, um, the way in which you use alcohol. Alcohol in and of itself is not bad, but when we use it to cope, um, instead of any other type of coping tool and the results bring about shame and secrets and, um, self-hatred, you know, that's, that's something to look at. That's something to look at. Uh, And then her second one uh, was, I'll I'll just kind of condense this one, but her, uh, her dog chewed uh, its rope toy and swallowed all of the strands. And then a couple of days later, she looks in the yard and noticed he was having trouble going to the bathroom. I watched in horror as he extruded a two foot long poop thread rope from his butt. Uh, it would not disconnect and I knew I had to go help him. I approached with a stick. <laughs> Try, what were you, how was a stick gonna help? Uh, I say pompously, cause when that happens with Ivy, I use a leaf. <laughs> That's much better. Uh, and tried to assist, but he was startled by my probing and began to run. The poop rope followed. He turned and it whipped around, uh, too. Then he began running in circles, afraid of the poop rope. I chased my dog around the yard for at least 10 minutes, trying to dislodge the now violently swinging poop rope without it wrapping around my arm. Oh my God, it must have been long. When I finally got it out, I proclaimed my victory with a huzzah, only to look up and see my neighbor with the fucking perfect lawn watching with disapproval and disgust. Ivy, uh, our dog... When she has diarrhea, she will become frightened of her own diarrhea. And she does this, like, sprinkler where she sprays diarrhea as she's running away from it and trying to see what is happening uh, with her backside. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, on her Match.com profile, she puts scared of my own diarrhea, which I think is really upfront, but... She has not had many matches since she put that on there. This is a happy moment filled out by Fraxinus. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, And they write, In my high school health class, we had our mental health unit. I was dealing with suicidal depression, but was hell-bent on keeping that private from school officials as I was receiving the appropriate medical supervision outside of school. Our teacher was frank that depression... Not Frank. The name was Frank. That depression and suicide were a reality, and that basically, in the teen years, they're unfortunately too common. At one point, he said, "Hey, all of you, your life matters. You have made a contribution to this world. Even if you die while you're being born, you provide information so for doctors so they can prevent it from happening to other babies. You matter." At the time, I just kind of—I was just kind of humored by it. But it really stuck with me. As I've gotten older, I've come back to that moment. He was right. I love when you get a teacher that cares and is passionate. It's so great. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Locust Bean. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple of parts uh, of it. He is... Um, he writes, I identify as queer in practice. Uh, I actually mostly date women because I have a hard time trusting men. He's in his thirties, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He, um, has never been sexually abused, but he was physically and emotionally abused by a over the top, uh, physically abusive stepdad. Um, his stepdad was abusive enough to, uh, be portrayed in a lifetime movie. That's how bad, uh, any positive experiences with the abusers? And he writes, um, none. My family keeps insisting that family is important and I need to get over it and forgive. In a parentheses, you have to forgive for yourself, exclamation point. And I, that I have to get over it and forgive and keep the peace. I've grown more and more distant from them. Meanwhile, they continue to support my stepfather as his temper and dishonesty cost him job after job. And that is enabling somebody that has a rage addiction. And um, it is so good that you are distancing yourself from your family because, you know, when somebody says, you know, nothing is more important than family, well, that works both ways. So then your family should start treating you uh, with respect. And if they don't, they've broken their half of the bargain. And when people, you know, say that, you know, family, no matter what, I, I couldn't disagree more. I could not disagree more. Yes, you should give it your best shot. But at some point, um, you, you need to be in the same reality. And what I hear when people say, um, you need to forgive and forget, and it's your family, what what I usually hear is, I'm afraid of having conversations about emotions. Because if we open that door... I'm going to be really uncomfortable or experience some kind of feeling I don't want to. And those tend to be, this is a sweeping generalization, but they tend to be the angriest, most hypocritical people, are the, the, the people who are just, don't question tradition at all and don't talk about it and just pack it down. And I think those are the people that I happen to mostly see projecting their shame onto other people because they just, they do not want to, they do not want to begin looking inside themselves. This is, you know, I'm going to wrap it up with, with this last one. Um, Actually, two. Two more. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by Lady Costanza and Marie of Shitshire. You guys are the greatest. Uh, she writes, this is just a small happy moment from tonight, but I think it could be helpful to others. I've been dealing with my sister treating me really poorly this summer, although off and on all my life predominantly name calling, shaming me and making me really making really unreasonable demands of which I usually give into to keep the peace. It's so ironic that this is right after the, uh, that other one and it was not intentionally put back to back. After lots of support from counselors, friends and podcasts, I decided to set a clear boundary with her. She violently violated it within seconds, after which I told her that I didn't feel safe any longer around her. And if she wished to try and mend slash have a relationship with me going forward, it would have to be in a mediator slash therapist's office. Of course, she told me I was completely insane, yelled, cursed, and insulted me further. Um, I politely stated that I was seeking mental health help And i would love to have a healthy relationship if she was willing to work on it of course she said she didn't need help and that i was the only crazy one and told me to fuck off so i left it at that of course i'm a little sad at having lost a sister and hope she will change her mind and come to counseling with me however i know if she doesn't i made the right choice tonight within minutes i felt a sense of lightness and much more present I noticed the breeze, the twilight sky, and leafy branches overhead around me as, the universe was re- as if the universe was reaching out to give me a congratulatory hug. I came home and got on my bicycle, which I hadn't ridden since I bought it from fear of so many things. What if I fall? What if I hit someone? What if I'm not strong enough? What if a dog chases me? All those fears melted away and I just rode it, a little shaky at first. But soon I was doing big circles in the grass and really enjoying myself. I felt light and easy. Setting that one boundary and losing the baggage of the relationship physically lightened me. I am proud, hopeful, and dare I say, happy tonight. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love seeing people stick up for themselves, set boundaries, and give consequences. And finally, this is an some moment. I think it's actually a happy moment, but um, this is filled out by time-traveling bunnies. And she writes, When I was younger, it was always my dream to travel abroad, especially to England and Scotland. My parents highly discouraged it. You can just go to Epcot. It's just like Europe. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, the satirical character I perform as sometimes set, that's a bit And your parents actually say that in reality. Oh, my God. Uh, And my college boyfriend, who I was crazy about, went several times without me. Uh, I was not invited. So it got to the point where I felt like such a failure, since it's something that so many people do easily, and I found the idea so overwhelming and intimidating uh, that I couldn't. I'm 55 now, and I was especially embarrassed because I'm an architect, and we're all supposed to be well-traveled. When my husband died suddenly a few years ago, I told myself that now I definitely never would go because who would I go with? In May of this year, 2017, my son was traveling through England to Scotland with his college choir, so I used this as an opportunity to finally do it. Even though part of me was trying to make excuses not to go, I was able to get my passport and book a flight. I didn't travel with the choir, but met up with them to see two of their concerts, so I wasn't alone the whole time. It was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. And the hotel, on the last night, I looked at my reflection in the mirror and did something I have never done before. I said to myself out loud, I am so proud of you. Thank God for your surveys. Thank God for your surveys. It's, you know, even if I never read them on the show and just read them myself, they helped me. They helped me put whatever it is that I'm worrying about in perspective. They entertain me. Um, and, and it makes me feel good that you took the time to do it, that you care, you know. So often it, I feel invisible in the world which i know sounds crazy from somebody who was on six, uh, tv for 16 years and did stand up for 25 years but i do i was just sharing with somebody uh, last night that when somebody says my last name in addressing me i am still shocked that somebody cares enough about me to memorize my last name it it's still startling and when you fill out surveys it's like um I don't know, it. It whatever the opposite of that is, that's what it feels like. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of it. And um, I hope if you're feeling stuck, that you know that you are not alone and that there is help out there. It's really about making that scary first step and asking for help. Um, because there's a universe of safe beautiful loving people to connect to it's just sometimes a challenge to find them but once you do life gets so much better and it's it saved my life and i i hope you give it a chance if you're struggling to help your life as well and never forget that you're not alone and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely
1: beautifully, fucked up, I know is weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird ways. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully
0: fucked up in some weird ways. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird
1: way Let's jump into Peppa's
0: world of play. Look for spring flowers. Hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.